Hey, everybody. Welcome to Utah in the Weeds. I'm your host, Tim Pickett, and uh, I'm, I'm excited for this episode, an interview with Blake Smith, the chief medical, uh, chief science officer, as you were, for uh, Zion Medicinal. And just a good friend of mine and somebody that I've wanted to bring back on the podcast for quite some time. We talk a lot about a lot of things in this episode, so I'll let you listen to it all. Uh, again, Blake Smith, he, he knows pharmacokinetics. He's very, very interested in minor cannabinoids and how those interact in the body and just making good medicine. So some housekeeping. Also, this uh, we just wrapped up the month of January and again, raised over $6,000 for the Uplift subsidy program for medical cannabis patients here in Utah. We've added two more uh, partners that will be starting to contribute in February. So if you have not donated, we are going to match your donation. I believe it's eight times now, eight times those donations to Uplift at utahmarijuana.org slash Uplift. Stay tuned. We have upcoming episodes with Daniel Mark Jones, a, uh, a veteran of two, uh, basically two wars, was in Kosovo, was in uh, Iraq, and you've got to hear his story about how he was basically fleeced for $6,000 in Utah trying to get medical cannabis access. You've got to listen to that story. That'll be coming up in a future episode. We've also got Mitch Oborn from the Department of Health coming up. And we have uh, we, we just have a line of guests now as we dive into the winter and the spring. Subscribe to Utah in the Weeds on any podcast player that you have access to. Stay up to date with the conversation on YouTube. Discover Marijuana is the channel. Leave a comment there and we answer all of those comments where we're, we want to engage with you. So uh, I'm excited to have you with us and enjoy this episode with Blake Smith. Cool. Cool. Well, Blake Smith. That's me. <laughs> I, <laughs> the you, one, so the only. Do you remember the the only real time we've had you on the podcast was in the very beginning, right? So you haven't been on yep. the this is this is going to be like episode. We're high eighties now, um, awesome. episodes, right? So, yeah. uh, and maybe a few more people are listening to the podcast than were when you know when we had you on before. I remember sitting in the room. Um, I remember sitting in the room when we were recording. I was in. We were in our Mill Creek office. We had like these cheap Amazon desks, and uh, we, we were talking. And man, things were so different. We're talking episode one, two, or three. We're talking. Yeah, like, I think I was episode three or four. Yeah. Yeah. So since then, holy cow. The world are is you very are you tired? Yeah. Because I just talking <laughs> about just like remembering um back a couple of years ago, it just kind of makes me tired. This this industry more than anywhere I've ever worked is like accelerated. A year in this industry is like five in any others. And so yeah. anyone who's in here too long will age and age significantly. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, I guess they, they talk about um, how being president of the United States, like is just really, really stressful and it ages people. Of course, yeah. you know, Biden's into his administration, what a year. And, and, uh, 
but he already looks really a lot a lot older <laughs> yep <laughs> i feel yep. bad for the guy in some ways <laughs> but in the cannabis space yeah it's like that it's just it's just a rocket ship that's right of well cuz every day is different right every day something is happening i mean just yesterday we were up at capitol hill and then you know, the week before that, there's people who are interested in doing different things with their licenses. And, and the day before that, the state comes by. And then the day before that, there's an announcement in Mississippi. And then the next day, you know, it's just nonstop all the time. Yeah, it's nonstop. It is an industry. The, I feel like the the, the medical programs, um, you know, it's still really for any other industry, this would be in its infancy. It's infancy, yes. right? So you're we're two years into the program, and when I when we were talking to you before, we were barely getting you know tinctures out. Uh, Lemon Dream, your vape yeah. cart, Lemon Dream. It was the first, wasn't that the first vape cart you you made? Yeah, it was the first vape cart we made. It and may one have of the been first, the very first vape carts created in the state in the state of Utah. That's right. And since, and there wasn't any, there was hardly any flour at the time. Almost nothing. And yeah. now there's quite a bit of flour in the state. Yeah. So now tell me, more. take me from before, take me from Zion Medicinal, you know, when we talked two years ago to today, like what, give me just an overview of some of the stuff that's changed. Oh, wow. Well, um, all eight licenses are growing now. And so there was about a year period where several licenses were not activated. And we started off with zero patients. So when the program first started, they say, okay, everything starts March 1st and we want product available. And then we're going to be getting our first patients and we're going to be doing this boy, that's a real hard way to start planning how much you're going to grow, how much, you know, product to make. Right. This is back when we were thinking, oh, there's going to be 6,000, maybe 10,000 patients the first year. Right. Um, You know, how much, how much operation do you need? How many, how many plants do we grow? Can we afford it? Because we're not going to, maybe not going to get our investment back for a long, long time. Yeah. I mean, these are the issues. I mean, so a lot of people also, you know, even if they got their grow going, you know, and you remember we started off in our own warehouse, we had grow tents and then. Oh yeah. We recorded, I recorded with Sean in the, like in your, now what is your processing facility? And there were like three grow tents back there. That's right. And it's because we had no idea. Plus creating like a clean grow space in a warehouse was challenging. I mean, you know, our isopropyl costs alone were outrageous. I mean, it was just, it's just one of those crazy things. And now we, you know, I'll speak to Zion. We have, you know, two grows going one, we've maximized our license. You know, we produce a lot of biomass. We produce massive amounts of, you know, products and distillate. We have all kinds of different products out there. Um, and we continue the science, figuring out mechanism of action of specific cannabinoids and trying to create specific medicines for specific conditions. But now we have a lot more cannabinoids to like actually do that with. Um, there's like the one-to-one to 10 tincture for pain. We're right in the middle of the one-to-one tincture with CBN. Um, tell tell me the, what's the one-to-one to one-to-one to one for pain? 
It's a one-to-one to 10, and it's one part THC, one part CBG, 10 parts CBD. And then we're about to do one for sleep, which is a one-to-one to 10, but instead of CBG, it's CBN. And we're also looking at doing some vape cards that are going to be some mixes, like a one-to-one-to-one, something along those lines. Yeah, because CBD. there's not there's no vape cards in the Utah market with uh, with other cannabinoids that I know of. Um, um, their white widow had CBG in a vape um, cart, in a vape cart. There, there's a couple, what I would say is it's, it's been lacking a little bit. And part of that's because, you know, if you don't get your ratios, right, the other cannabinoids other than THC will crystallize in the cart. So you mm. got to get it just right with the right amount of terpenes with just the right amount, you know, of agents in order to get it to keep from crystallizing. So that's just science. We can figure all that out. Yeah. So now you have, would you say you have an abundant supply of biomass and flour for what Zion needs to do? Yeah. I mean, I have enough flour and biomass to produce pretty much anything anybody wants. I mean, we've started now producing concentrates. um, Which takes a lot of biomass. Which requires a lot of biomass. And it requires a lot of good flour, quite frankly. And so um, good flour um, was always at such a high demand. There was not excess flour to put into the market in his other products. So you talk about raws and carts and things like that. There's just not enough material to make that worthwhile, considering that flour will all sell. Um, we're getting to a point now in the industry where there's enough flour to start seeing some other other products come out. And that's cool. That's a cool place to be. Yeah. Have you, have you landed on things that you really like over the past couple of years, the products that you feel like are, are kind of your, your favorite so far from Zion? What are those? Yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, I'm a little bold on this one. I think Zion makes a lot of cool products, but I, I think, I think the tincture market is probably our strongest And the reason I say that is because we specifically put a lot of different types of cannabinoids in very specific formulations for very specific conditions. We make a really nice Delta 9 cart. The Delta 9 cart is designed to, you know, really help you get the head change and mask pain. We make some cool Delta 8 carts, which are good for as antiemetics. They're really nice in terms of helping with nausea and things like that. Nice flavor profiles, you know, all cannabis derived. Um, but our tinctures, we have seen without, you know, trying to sound too bold, we've seen miracles with some of these. You know, we've seen people stop having seizures. We've seen people who cannot sleep, all of a sudden their back pain goes away. And so, I mean, we produce some cool flour too. Our Mad Max flour is one of my absolute favorites. It's, you know, always a high percent THC, but also a high percent CBG. So mm-hmm. people are having to make their own spliffs with it, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I, the Mad, Mad Max is a, it is a favorite strain and it's just because it's kind of different, right? Yeah. That when you, as you get into this and you learn a little bit about it, start keeping a journal as a patient and, and you start to experience these different cultivars or different strains, different products, you start to think, or you start to realize what the difference is. I know CBG, I've seen it marketed as a bubble bath for the brain. And it is kind of that way. It's like a little different. The head change is a little different. Um, 
And so for patients who are experimenting with THC and CBG uh, and THC and CBD ratios, I've had people come back to me and and tell me, you know, yeah, when I when the chill when I needed the chill, then I really just go to the THC CBD. But when I don't need that, right, and I there's just something different about the CBG. So from a medical standpoint, it's as if we're manipulating our own drugs for our own effects and it's working. It seems yeah. like it's working for people. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is we, we've learned enough at this point that we can draw some actual dose effects, right? Like we know about for the typical person, how much THC will affect a masking element for pain and, and create a head change. We know about how much Delta eight is required. We know about how much CBD is necessary to, you know, cut into um, if you're overly high, but also how much CBD is necessary for helping with pain management. We know enough about CBG, how many MIGs of CBG are required to do things. But now we're also in the fun world of like, okay, well now let's start mixing more of these together. And then you get these entourage effects where you get heightened effect from any of the individual cannabinoids by putting them in certain ratios. And that's, that's this whole other world that's kind of awesome where individual patients get to figure out what their right dose is that's working for them in this mixture of cannabinoids. Yeah. I, I wonder what, you know, once you get through the, the CBN, the CBG, oh, okay, I'm totally going to change this topic here. What about CBGA and CBDA? This is your, uh, this is your COVID, your COVID study uh, article. Uh, what about yeah. those? Um, well, I mean, uh, somebody may try to come and hang me after I say, say this. Uh, they're not as exciting as I think people want them to be. Um, here's the thing. In vitro, you're putting it in a Petri dish. You can get the same effect out of coffee, actually, with tannic acid. It, it inhibits um, proliferation of viral load. Uh, that's not to say that CBDA and CBGA don't have a physiological effect, but how are you going to get your CBGA? How are you going to get it in? Are you going to smoke it? Well, guess what? The second you light it on fire, you've decarboxylated. Yep, you've decarboxylated. It's no longer CBGA. So what are you going to do? You can do a crude. Well, crude oil has other health implications. I don't know that you want to be like delving into armfuls of crude. Um, So that may not be the right answer either. And we also know that with the acidic form, you're not going to get into CB1 receptors. You'll get, you potentially will get into CB2 receptors. Cellular uptake for the acidic form seems to be a thing. We don't have tons of data on it yet, but you know, there could be medicinal value with both of those. Could you get a protective index from them? How about this? Maybe. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, but uh, I'm glad it's we're not bringing this up because you're not, like we don't, we don't have CBGA in a nebulizer, so it's not going to go no, into and, long viruses. So like, right. And you don't have, okay. So what about this other issue with the reproducibility problem that we have with this data? So there was this study, the CBGA, CBDA study, there was another study that was done uh, kind of retroactively looking at CBD patients, seizure patients, and looking at their incidence of COVID 
and saying that, you know, potentially CBD was had this protective effect. Uh, some confounding factors, certainly. One being that, you know, maybe people with seizures were not in the public and getting exposed to COVID as much as the general population. But that all being aside, it also seems like in general, in science, and I want to hear your opinion about this, there is, we have kind of this reproducibility problem. We have these studies, and then we're having a very hard time reproducing the results of a lot of science. Yeah. Not just in cannabis medicine, but even outside of that. What do you think about that? So I'm not going to speak directly about cannabis for one second. I'm going to just talk about science and the science process in general. So I got a bunch of degrees. I started going and working for a contract research organization. And my first boss I had there said, hey, you got hired in this contract research organization because of your background and your degrees. However, we're going to now teach you real science. And I was like, what, 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 you know, what does that even mean? I, man, I studied my butt off. I passed my test. Like I'm a scientist. And, and they very politely were just like, well, there's a difference between getting N of 20, you know, people and getting 10,000 people and reproducing it with 10,000 people. In fact, there's a difference between that and then six months after all your tests are done, randomly picking a thousand of those 10,000 samples, pulling them back out of the freezer, running the same method and being within 2% of your original value. <laughs> that's, that's hardcore science. I mean, that's reproducible science where we know that aspirin has a dose effect because we now have so much data and have done this so many times that we know what aspirin does. Yes. Now, we have that much data around THC. We know about how much THC it takes for a head change. Yep. How many science experiments do we have with THC in two different hundred types of cancer? Yep. And how many variables? Like, so this part of the whole science and medicine stuff is, is still nascent. It's still new. It's still, we're learning all of this stuff. Could... Could THC, CBD, CBG help with COVID? Maybe. Do we scientifically, can we prove that yet? Do we have an N of 10,000 that show that? Right. No, we're, and, we're not we, and, and not only do we have an N of 10,000, but we can we take another N of 10,000? And when you say N, that means just the number of people the treated. The number, number right? of number needed, Number yeah. needed to treat. Uh, but then you have... Um, you know, can you, can you then take another 10,000 people that kind of match those first 10,000 and do this again and then do it yep. again? Then you get into this issue where, and again, another kind of rabbit hole, but you look at SSRIs, for example, and there's yeah. so many studies and some of them didn't get published because the results didn't match what the drug companies needed, right? So you end up somewhat biasing the publishing of some studies over the, you're not, it's not that you're withholding data in those in those cases. You're just not promoting well, some of these things. How does that fit yeah. in with with cannabis? Yeah, I don't I don't feel like we have enough enough of those studies with cannabis to even make that argument. Um, 
It's an interesting point, though, and I think it's actually probably very relevant to what we're talking about, because in the cases where you have some drug companies that aren't releasing all studies to the public, what I would say is this. It's not that those studies don't ever get released, because what does happen is those studies do get released to their peers, other companies, FDA, right? And so that's where you start getting your contraindications. I mean, you you as a doctor know what the side effects of most of these drugs are, not because the drug company initially came out and said, hey, we saw this in a study, but it's like upon full review, scientific review, we know this is a contraindication as of this particular SSRI or whatever right. it is, Yes. right? And so that scientific process is the part that needs to continue to play in cannabis because what I hear a lot in the industry is this, this sort of war against synthetics versus non-synthetics or this war of whole plant medicine versus non-whole plant medicine. And I, I don't think we need to war at all. What I think we need to do is have qualified individuals talk about the data and then we need to peer review all of our data and then come up with conclusions that we either can agree or we don't agree on. And that's okay. Not Scientists don't always agree. But one thing we will agree on is this data is here and this is what the data itself says. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my feeling. I just feel like, you know, we're we're so new in how we even think about the science on all this. It's really hard to get real hard conclusions. Having said that, we're getting there. Yeah. We're, getting well, we're certainly better off. CBGA and, yeah. You know, all well, and we things. have 40,000 like here in Utah, we've got 40,000. Uh, plus patients that are using cannabis in, in various forms and types and delivery methods and products, and they're responding to questionnaires yep. that we're giving them. And they're and and what's nice about the cannabis population, the cannabis consumers, is they seem interested yeah. in providing this feedback. Like, I want to prove to you what's happening. I I want to legitimize what I'm doing. As a patient, yeah. there's a lot of that in cannabis. It, cannabis, cannabis is awesome because it involves the enthusiast around the the medicine they're taking. I don't usually see somebody who's like, "Man, I can't wait to go home and take my warfarin," right, <laughs> or or somebody along those. But somebody who's like, "Look, I can't sleep because of my pain, and this this you know flower or this product." I sleep with this. My life is better and I want you to have a better life too. Let me tell you about it. I haven't heard one human being in my lifetime say to another, hey, man, I couldn't sleep. You know what you need to do? You need to go on and get on Ambien. Like, right. oh, I just started Ambien last week and it is so awesome. I sleep so good. And I, right. I'm now like, that never happens. I hide the fact. Most people would be like, pretty hiding the fact that they take this, but cannabis is like the opposite. Man, right. you know what I, Sally, you know what I did? I have been using these gummies that my sister brought back from, from wherever. And now I got my card and I'm using this tincture and yeah. well, it's changed my life. That's right. Right. That's right. That's what's happening. And, and part of that is the stigma. There's a stigma around it. So people are trying to break the stigma, but I think you can also run into the other problem too, where people can be so over-enthusiastic that it comes off as being, you know, hyper drug culture. And here's the thing. I don't personally, I don't really care about any of that, but like, you know, somebody, somebody might be like, oh man, how much mescaline do you take? Right. Like, <laughs> 
do you follow the white rabbit? Right. And, and that's going to be the best high you've ever had, let alone don't worry about the cardiac palpitation. Don't worry about the cotton mouth. Don't worry about it. But like if you're trying to get lit, man, you know, it's the only way to fly, whatever. So I, I think there's this balance that you got to play out. I use this medicinally or I use this for this purpose. And, and look, here's my experience. And, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong. And viewers or listeners out there, please correct me on this. But even most recreational or adult use is still usually centered around treatment of some kind. I very rarely have somebody who's just like, man, I just light up all the time because I like to just be lit all the time. I mean, there are people who do that, but almost everyone I know who even use it as an adult use product, they're like, man, I just sleep better. I feel better. Yeah. You know, I have this pain. I just, I, my, I'm just off. I'm not in my right place and this helps center me or whatever it is. And so they're taking it medicinally, even if, you know, they're, they're not identifying it with a card saying, this is my condition. This is why I'm doing it. And that's why medical programs become cool because you can bring them in and say, yes, what you're complaining or what you're sensing is a real thing. Now come on to the white market and let's do this, you know, let's do this in a way that, that makes sense for everybody. Is the program in Utah getting better, getting worse, staying the same? What do you think? That's a great question. Um, Despite what I think detractors will say, Utah is a pretty good program. That doesn't mean it's all right. But overall, I mean, we are allowed a lot more concentration forms and different things than many people, many states have allowed on the medicinal side. We have a lot more producers producing lots of different types of products. So even the number of products is pretty wide in terms of what we can do. I mean, we haven't got there yet for everything we need, obviously, but, but, but we're moving that direction. Legislatively, you know, our legislature has been pretty open to changing things that needed to be changed. Um, and that's been really, even in this session that's going on right now, we're looking at changing a couple things to make the industry better. Um, what types of things now, but we're getting there. I, I think, I think we're continually trying to improve. What types of things are, is, you know, is Zion interested in changing or is the quote unquote industry in Utah trying to change? The biggest thing I think everybody in industry can agree on no matter, you know, cause there are different companies that have different philosophies about how we think about medicine. And that's okay. That's There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think universally, the industry can all agree that we need more patients. Patient counts have got to go up because that helps fuel innovation. It helps fuel business. It helps fuel getting rid of the stigma. I mean, there's so many advantageous and so many people who still just need help who are still on their opioids or still on their Ambien or still, you know, do, taking all these other drugs that could be helped by cannabis. And so we need to increase patient count. So I think that's a universal thing we all agree on. I think the other thing we would agree on as an industry is we need to get the right amount of licenses with real data. You know, because if you go back to originally and you look at like eight grows, 14 pharmacies, and now there's a 15th pharmacy. I mean, all these numbers are sort of arbitrary. Sort of, arbi- sort of arbitrary. They're like literally arbitrary. I'm, somebody is yeah. somebody could, you know, 
say they're correcting me and they have data around how many pharmacies there could have been. That that bullshit. It's just arbitrary. Tim, Plain I like it because you're bold. I, I was trying to give a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt, but you I are know, but like it's on, I'm, Tim. Okay. It is just totally you're right. arbitrary. <laughs> the, the numbers were arbitrary. Now, does that mean the numbers are necessarily wrong? Well, how do you know right or wrong without it's, the data? Right. So that's the whole point would be I think the industry would all be okay with getting data around it and saying, look, how much do we really need? How much, I mean, because right now, even if you look at the amount of flour, there's now enough flour for the most part. Um, almost every pharmacy has flour in stock. Does it always the best flour? No, I, we, I think we still have strides to make there, but, and we need to lower prices. Prices need to come down. But generally speaking, we've made huge advancements. Over half the companies still aren't utilizing their full license either. So mm -hmm. if everybody has flour in all their pharmacies, and, you know, so forth. And we can start lowering prices. Maybe we don't need more grows. But the only way to do that is to start doing a real assessment. And then I would say the same thing on the pharmacy side. How many people are not being served because they can't get access to it? Yep. And so we need to do, we need to have data to suggest how many pharmacies we should have. I think the industry is, is, is okay with those ideas. But we should make all decisions based on data. Yeah. And I... I can see, at least I can see, I think Ray Ward um, is, is trying to do an, maybe an appropriation for some industry uh, questionnaires, right? Asking the QMPs and the patients, you know, what this, how the program is going, what's happening, what's good, what's bad. Uh, I, I can support that from my side, from the, from the medical provider side, that we need practical data on my side on how the program is being used, we have, on my side, it's more of a, a question of, you know, who's providing the recommendations. There's a, who do the, who does the legislate, who does the legislature want to be providing the recommendations yeah. versus who is actually making those recommendations and helping the program grow. Yeah, that's right. right. And and, and, so, and we're still lacking in education, too. I mean, one, one of the biggest challenges, I think, with the government in general is that they stepped into this without actually knowing how the cannabis industry actually works. And then not only that, but then there's always this standoffish like, well, of course, industry is going to suggest things because they're so self-motivated that the industry can't be trusted. Well, the industry is the only one who has all the knowledge that's necessary for everybody to know everything. So it's a very weird stance to say, like, I'll be ignorant and make rules based on my ignorance, but I can't trust industry who does know the answer to this because they're only going to do it in their own interest. I mean, I got yeah, you're exactly in the same spot that I am too, right? Yeah. Like nobody trusts me as a QMP that, that, that owns a cannabis specialty clinic because, oh, you know, you, you have all of your interests um, you know, Utah Therapeutic, their interests are in seeing more patients and, and doing more evaluations. But on the other hand, just like you, but, but yet I'm the one seeing all the patients and doing right. all the evaluations. Right. I'm, like, I'm the guy who's making medicine. So like, I, right. You're like, you're the guy who's making medicine. So you've got to listen to what, what people are buying, what people are using, how people are responding. And what's this is the, the accessibility science of what we do know. Right. Yeah. This is just Absolutely. practical. It's that practical knowledge that's hard. And it is hard for a state, 
ironically, you have a state that's very uh, libertarian and right right sided on the political spectrum, and yet they are they are have got their claws deep in regulation on this on yep. this side. Um, so it's a it's a very interesting place to be. I'm I'm glad you feel that same way. Uh, and it's. Well, I- Tim, I always laugh. I laugh about this a lot because, you know, I I have been told to my face that, you know, well, we wouldn't want to trust data coming out of a cannabis company because it's going to be self-serving in terms of, you know, doing the research. I worked in pharma for a good portion of my career. Every study we did, we paid for. (laughs) It was promoting our material we were making from pharma. Right. The difference was it was okay because it was being peer-reviewed it was going through this regulatory process. And so why is cannabis any different? Like, I, you know, I, Zion, I, I think I, I have done clinical studies. I know how to do this. But like if CureLeaf gets a study done and they open up the data and everybody can review it and scientists all can weigh in, that's good for everybody. Like it doesn't really matter that it was CureLeaf or Zion or whoever. It, it doesn't really matter. Right. It's good, da- good data is good data, and that will win out at the end of the day. Yep. I, yep. <laughs> I mean, how I, do you? How do you? Switching gears a little bit on Zion's uh, portion, uh, you know. So you did not get. You applied for the fifteenth license. Yep. Uh, Dragonfly ended up with the award. Going to yep. put a. Sounds like they're going to put a, a pharmacy in price. Uh, yep. You you fought hard. Zion fought hard. I know. Yeah. You know. You and I talked for that uh, for that license. But you have a retail establishment. Um, how did that play out? Talk, talk to us a little bit about that because not a lot of people understand or even know. Yeah. Um, and, and that's been, I mean, that, that was pretty intentional on our end. I mean, there, there's, there has been differences of opinion in the industry about different companies and different things. I mean, I've heard people say, you know, well, Zion, those are those lab guys and they're full of chemists and scientists and they're doing weird stuff, you know? And so like, that's, that's, people are entitled to the way they think about it. I I would like to think that we make good medicine and we follow good scientific practices as a result of that. But what ends up happening is because of these differences of opinions and different things that, you know, we had an opportunity to acquire the business, which included the license for, for pharmacy one, two, seven, which is the one that's in Cedar city. And, um, that became important. I mean, it's important for us for a lot of reasons, but you know, we need to be able to give all different patients access to all kinds of different medicine, but we also wanted to make sure that, you know, we didn't want people to not want to get us products because it was going to be a Zion affiliate in some way, shape or form. Because if you if you go to Cedar City, what you'll notice is that pretty much every company is represented there. Every company. And yeah, you would, buy you buy products down there from everybody. It's one of the things we have a clinic in that same building, yep. and it's one of the things um, that our staff and when I ask my staff about um, loyalty programs and you know, which pharmacies they like to shop at, which pharmacies they like to get their medicine at. Uh, Always the availability of all the products at Bloom at the Cedar City location is is one of the things that comes up. Always stopping by 
that pharmacy on the way to St. George. That's yep. what people, that's what I'm hearing people are starting to do because the variety is good. The prices are as good as you can get around in the state. Yep. And that variety isn't the case in all of the pharmacies. That's correct. So, yeah. So to, to that point, Tim, I mean, we purposely have lowered prices on all products a little bit. I mean, I would like to do more, um, but at the moment it is what it is, but we're, we're, I think we're one of the cheapest pharmacies in the state uh, for the, for the daily price. I mean, there are, there are pharmacies that run some specials that do a little bit better than that, but on average, the daily price is cheapest. And, and that's very intentional on our side. And the other thing is we want to carry everything. Cause here's the thing. I, and again, I'm going to be bold, Tim, you know, i like to get bold. Sometimes. Yes. I think I produce some of the best products there are. I, I, I believe that I, you know, I, I, come from a background of making medicine. And I think I'm really good at this. And some of my products I think are better than others. You know, like I think that we produce the best tinctures. I just, I just think that that is the case, you know? Um, But having said that, that doesn't mean there's not room for other tinctures in the market. And in fact, I would make the argument that says everybody should be able to make the things that they think and hold value. So for example, if somebody thinks that it's better to have whole plant medicine where they don't pull out certain terpenes that have sulfurs and they think that's valuable, that should be available to patients. Patients and providers should be able to start talking about what types of medicines are going to be the best fit for that individual. And even though I think I make great medicine, There are plenty of other processors and people who make good medicines as well that may be a better fit for an individual. And as a result of that, it's it's our philosophy at our pharmacy, you know, at Cedar City. um, We try to carry everything. We try to. I mean, we don't always have everything, but we try to carry everything because we want patients to have the biggest selection they can possibly get. Well, you don't go to Walgreens and expect that, oh, they don't carry that brand of my, you know, my thyroid medicine. Like, oh, uh, yeah, can't get, can't get my, can't get that one because, you know, because I don't order that. No, that's not the case, right? We write, we write prescriptions expecting that no matter where you go in the pharmacy world, you can get what I write for. That's right. Now that's That's not happening. It's not the same in cannabis, but what you're talking about is essentially that same thing. You should have, look, if what you need is this flower that is, is grown at a processor in uh, Garland, right. Then we're going to need, we're going to need to carry that stuff because you're not driving to Garland or Brigham city to go get it. That's right. You're in in Cedar city or Southern Utah. I think, I think almost every company now is producing um, gummies of some type, gelatinous cubes of some type. Um, you should have the ability to choose. I mean, am I going to get the Kroger's brand of aspirin? Am I going to get the Walmart version? Am yeah. I going to get the, you know, the one from Bear? Look, there's a price yeah. point differential for all of them and that's okay. Give the give the patient the ability to make that choice and that's valuable. So that's, that's how we think about it. Do you guys plan on doing delivery out of uh, Cedar City? We do. Um, we... One of the things that's becoming important to us is is trying to figure out if there's a way we can do broader delivery out of out of multiple locations. Since we have a pharmacy, we can do delivery anyway. 
But the way the rule is currently written is I would need to have a delivery vehicle leave from Murray to go down to Cedar City, then Cedar City potentially coming back to Salt Lake to do a delivery, and it could be the same medicine. That's that's a little odd. And so, you know, legislatively, we would love to be able to say, look, you know, as long as you have a pharmacy and a pharmacist who is actually reviewing every single thing going out, then it should be able to come from any of the locations that that have the right licensure. Right. You should be, I mean, yeah, it seems silly. And, that and you that's would a have difference to... for most of the industry, by the way. That's something that Zion cares about, but I don't know that everybody in the industry would care about that, but that's something we care about. Sure. What, uh, I lost my train of thought there. Huh. That's because it was so groundbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> just playing. Uh, what other projects do you have going on? What other projects does Blake, I mean, what the, you're, you're involved in, um, I mean, I'm sure you're involved in other states in their scientific process, working on bills to pass bills. Like yep. what, what else are you involved in right now? What are the projects? Uh, we have some projects that we're working on in multiple states, um, all cannabis related. Um, We have some ventures that are actually outside the United States in Europe and New Zealand and some other places that are actually more on the hemp side. Um, We have a whole hemp side of our business. Um, I have started developing speciality in cannabinoid science for animals, um, specifically mammals. Um, And so we're doing a lot of work and we're doing some clinical studies, um, with, with another company, and, uh, and I'll, I can mention them, I'm sure, uh, Chutu Pharmaceuticals. They, um, they're producing animal cannabinoid therapies, and so I'm their chief te- technical officer as well. And we have a study at, at the University of Sydney and a study going on at UPenn uh, measuring arthritic uh, arthritis and elbow joints for dogs, and the gold standard is um, NSAIDs. CBG and CBD are far superior than, than, than the gold standard. And that's, that's awesome. That means not only is your life better through cannabis and cannabinoids, but we're going to start making pets' lives better through cannabinoids. And, you know, one of the biggest failings in the industry right now on that side of things is, you know, people think that's for an animal, we should be using substandard materials. We treat them just like we treat everything else. We use medical grade everything because like in the case of my dog that, you know, is for my daughter and so forth, I'm not giving it subpar material. I want it to have the best. No, and this is billion, billions of dollars. The, the, the pet industry is billions of dollars a year. I mean, people, people are willing to spend the money on the right product and get good products for their pets. Why, why would you do... I don't know. It seems, it does seem odd that you would, uh, you would use low grade products uh, for pets, but I guess it's, it's cheap. It's, I mean, it's just if cheap. we're going to be honest, it's, it's the same thing with anything, right? Why are some products better than others? Well, can we make it cheaper? I mean, yep. if you think about medicine, even like the different brands of medicine for aspirin, but what is the real difference? They, if they're both 25 milligrams of acetosalicylic acid, then they're both 25 milligrams. Well, what's the difference? Well, what are they using as the filler for that pill? 
Mm-hmm. Right. And so your fillers, all of those different types of things have different cost value. And so the biggest issue, I think, in all of cannabis, whether it's hemp or medical or even adult use, is who's out there trying to make hay while the sun is shining and they don't care about the product. They're just trying to move it as quickly as they can and as much as they can. And consumers buy it, you know, versus who's trying to make something that's going to have a lasting effect and be a quality product, you know? Well, I think in the medical market here, we've done a pretty good job. I don't see any real bad actors, uh, you know, making, for lack of a better term, really just shitty products in Utah. I don't yeah. I don't see. Uh, look, I, I, I don't Utah, see that Utah either. Is I think a great should. place with great producers. I I don't I don't have any complaints. But I can tell you this: having done business now, looking at things outside of our state, not all places are created the same. Not all bills and legislation are created the same, and not all processors are created the same. Um, especially as you start to follow cannabis around the country, and you know what the black market's doing and different things. Some people still, you know, are using dirt floor radiator hoses and, you know, hexane to, to do a bunch of business. And that's, I don't know, seems a little sketchy to me. What on the hemp side is is changing in the legislature now? I know they've, uh, they've combined the Utah Department of Agriculture with, uh, like, they've, they've made their own department up there for the hemp and the medical cannabis. That's going to be combined. I guess at the department that's, that's in legislation. We'll see if it happens. Okay. What about what other hemp things are happening? Do you know? Um, the biggest thing is getting, uh, getting like Delta eight and other THC analogs out of the, the general public and moving them into the medical industry. Um, do, do you think that'll happen? Yeah, I do. Seems like that's a, it seems like there's a pretty good appetite in the, like in the system and in the legislature for that. Yeah. To to remove Delta eight from the, from the over the counter products. And what I would say is Delta eight is, is only one part of that. I mean, if you look at Delta eight, the rules around Delta eight is it has to be significantly pure to be in the medical market, you know, 95% plus, um, so the response to Delta-8 now being eliminated out of, you know, general circulation is people are moving to HPP, which is basically another THC analog. And, oh, my gosh, if you, if you were sketched out by Delta-8, you should be really nervous by, by that because the way that you make it is you end up usually combining sulfuric acid, hydrochloric acid, and acetic acid because you actually have to donate carbons. We're no longer moving a single covalent bond. We're literally changing the molecule, adding things, taking stuff away, and manipulating the molecule. And what does it do? It gets you high, but I haven't seen any that's really pure. So, you know, uh, as just I've seen some of this on the market. Yeah, I've, I've well, literally been given a vape cart of this because it's the new thing, right? It's the, yep. it's the new thing. You should. And it's sketchy. Like I'm going to be honest, it's 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 sketchy because it, I have not been given any material or created any material that I can throw on the mass spec and show that it is extremely pure. 
I haven't seen any yet. I mean, there's some stuff that's not bad, but like, you know, people were complaining about Delta A that like, well, what's the other 5%? If it's 95% pure, what's the other 5%? HPP, I haven't seen anything that's better than about 82% ever. And how do you, how, I mean, how do we adjust for this? Is is the black market and the this, you know, the hemp side just going to always be one step ahead? Well, Are we always, always going to be chasing? Yeah, I mean, legislators could fix this real fix this real quick. Okay, any analog of THC is now going to be regulated. Done. Like it's over because this is just another analog of of THC, and, and so if you do something like that, then you know it falls in the same categories as spice and some of these other things. Uh, and so let let's not do that. Let's let's not go down this rabbit hole. I mean. There's ways for us to cap CBD molecules. And when I mean cap, I mean literally binding the, the ends of these molecules so that it will sit in your stomach long enough so that it's subjected to warmth and acid. We can, can get it to convert in your liver to alpha hydroxy 11, right? And so we can get, you high, get you high CBD. We can figure that out. I mean, in fact, we know how to do that. Let's not play that game. That's a silly game to play. We'll just keep doing this over and over again until somebody at, le- at the legislative level says, look, if we're going to regulate THC, then we should regulate it. And even if this were to become adult use market, even if that happened, I would still want to regulate these rogue analogs because they're not shown to have be safe. Typically, if, if Joe's growing it in his backyard or in his basement or in his bathtub and, you know, the and then local, converting it into the in the garage. Yeah. But but even if the neighbor is just like goes and buys, you know, weed from Joe, it's probably pretty safe. Joe's sure. probably not spraying it with arsenic. He's probably not getting lead or cadmium in there. Right. And he's probably not dousing it in hydrochloric acid. Okay. Joe's brother, who's out on the farm, who ends up having massive amounts of hexane hydrochloric acid, who just starts taking all their hemp and dumping it in there, and then's like, we got some of it out. Let's go ahead and make a bunch of vape carts. That's sketchy. That's weird. We shouldn't allow that in the system, even if you are pro adult use. Yeah. It, it's just the way that it's you think about processing safe. things. What about this also? The the you know, I've I've made a gummy that is 0.3%. But I've made it so big that it's got eight milligrams of Delta Nine in it. So is there legislation the to fix here's that? Here's how we beat the federal government. Everybody, are you ready? What you do is go buy some kashi, which is sticks and stones and berries cereal, right? And that's going to add density. Just pour that into your party puck gummy, and you can get about twenty megs of THC in there. And by weight, it's still going to be below 03 percent. So you could eat that whole party puck and get. 20 megs of THC and be legal. Look, that the whole thing, that's craziness too. The, to, to define things by percentage is a real silly way to think about this. Just because it, from a weight density perspective, look, I could just add denser and denser materials to my gummy so I can up or increase the amount of THC is in there. And is um, that part of the bill? The, the You know, if we, if we, if we limit analogs of THC, are we going to limit total milligrams of Delta 9? Of I don't THC believe it's per? in the bill now. You don't think so? I don't think it's in there. I, I mean, I haven't seen the draft. I haven't yet, seen so. the language either I on any hemp either. side or, or I, medical I would, side. 
I would love if it was in there. Because here's here's the other thing. I just don't want people. Look, the reason why you come see a medical provider is is so that I can help you just just adjust the dosage. Plus, I can make sure the pregnant woman, breastfeeding woman, and the kid who's under twenty one doesn't doesn't get access unless they absolutely need it through the compassionate use board. There's a system of access for these folks. That's I get right. that. That's that was what we designed. We we we're we're going around it. We're actually making the medical market kind of look foolish. Yeah. Well, and and the other thing I would say is, you know, I'm 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 pretty pro free market when we think about things like this. If somebody creates something innovative and so forth, then, you know, they they should be able to have a right to sell it. But I don't think this qualifies as innovative. This is not like if if somebody went in their backyard and and threw in a bunch of seeds and you did this hyper mix of you know boswellic acid and all these type of things, you don't know anything about it, and you know it's like snake oil in some way, shape, or form. But it happens to be a high demand snake oil, and so you'll sell it, but there's no guarantees about anything about it. Could it kill your liver? Could your kidney suffer failure? Maybe. Does the person making it even know that? No. Nope. Nor do they really care. Nor do they probably And they care. know that it's only going to last so long, right? Like, look, I, I know we're going to get a ton of comments on this, the people that disagree with me on this. And I get I get your point. I get people's point that we should have access. But you're but if you want that, then then create an adult use program and get it done legislatively so that it's legal and it's and that's the right way to do this. You Even don't, if it's an adult use program, Tim, it's still going to be sold at a dispensary. Yes, it's, it's still, still regulated, rules. right? Rules and processing it, it, and testing. That's what we want. We need safety. That's the point. It, it, if, if Joe's making cereal, uh, sorry if there's somebody listening to this name, Joe. I, I keep using Joe. We'll, we'll call him Bob. <laughs> It'll be fine. If, if Bob is making cereal in his kitchen or in his bathtub, and he says, look, it's just like marshmallow mateys. I'm not sure that I want to eat Bob's marshmallow mateys out of his bathtub. I just, I don't uh, think that's the right way to think about cereal. <laughs> right? And so, yes. because at least the General Mills has rules and yes. GMPs, good manufacturing practices. There's rules around how to do it. And so I just think it's the same case for all of these things. I I don't trust somebody just dissolving some willow bark and making aspirin on their own. I, I think that's a weird thing to do. No, but alternatively, okay, this brings up a good point and um and about home grow and flower and what you said before about Joe growing a plant and then and then uh, providing it to his neighbor, that's probably reasonably safe. Joe, sure. yes. right? So yep. Joe Joe grows his vegetables, takes them to the farmers market, sells them, reasonably safe. Joe yes. starts manipulating and doing gene modification on things, and and now processing in the garage. That's where this breaks down. So that so there's a very good big distinction for me on like flower and safety of flower and potentially home grow and that type of stuff versus processing THC, which it, it, we yeah, need and, regulation. And I'll, and I'll take it further. Do I have a problem with Mary uh, 
taking willow bark, making her own aspirin, and then Mary taking the aspirin. Yes. Nope. That that's fine. Look, that's your deal. You get to decide what to do with you and you know your individual family. Do I think you should start making that in pill form and giving it to the kids on the street or selling it to all your neighbors? Nope, I'm out. That's that's where we have a problem, right? <laughs> yep. And so it's the same thing. Like, yep. it, look, if you want to make your own HPP in your garage and take it just yourself, uh, well, look, man, go, go do your I thing. I guess, yeah. I guess right? that's, that's something you, you, you should you do. But you put it in a kiosk in the mall and you trust me to, or, you know, you're telling me to trust you that it's all safe and done the certain way. Yeah, man, I want I want to see the certificate of analysis, and it needs to actually come from an accredited lab, and it needs to have a full profile, and I want to see the mass spec. You know. Yep. Yeah, that's that's the point. That's yep. that's where it's at. Individuals doing their own thing. I don't know that I I don't know that I care that much about. It. I think people should kind of do whatever they need to do for them. But the second you try to commercialize that and you don't have a safety profile, you don't have GMP, you don't have any of those things, I'm out. I can't I can't support it. So back to you and I can go down the rabbit hole a little bit. Okay. I'm in. Which which no, we just did. Oh yeah. I do that a lot. <laughs> I'm like a wind up toy. You just wind me up and let me off. Yeah, we're we uh yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Okay, so with uh, we've got Bloom, which is, well Cedar City, which is is uh, retail. We've got bills at the legislature that are happening. We haven't read the language yet. We've got hemp stuff. We've got multi-state projects going. I mean, when do you? Oh, and I should mention this for those of you who listen to the end here. Congratulations, because you're going to get a preview. Blake and I we just spent the last week videoing ourselves. Okay, that oh, was yeah. was that a little bit that was a little awkward for me. Was that a little awkward for you? Uh, it was sort of terrible in some ways. I I I know I talk a lot, but I don't necessarily actually like the sound of my voice that much and I certainly don't like talking about myself. I in a way that 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 they were trying to to really get us to talk about ourselves because you and I kind of try to thread this needle between all of these different things, our kids, yeah. our involvement in the program, the fact that we deal with cannabis for a living, um, you know, our own use or, or like all of that sort of stuff. It's just a little awkward. Well, one part was pretty upsetting, actually. I mean, so the question got asked me, how do I balance my work life? Yeah, you know? me too. I, I don't. I but know they I, were they were like well well you but but you make it to all the soccer games and all the dance concerts and all of that sort of and I'm like well yeah like I do that but it sure doesn't feel it just sure doesn't feel balanced like it feels like I work all the time I love it what do yeah. you what do you think yeah I I I like my job I wouldn't be so I wouldn't spend so much time doing this if I didn't think it had value right sure and so I have this weird dichotomy that I hold my family my family's like my number one thing and then work is also important to me because I feel like I'm doing good things I'm doing good things for lots of different people okay so now I have two competing things and so I try to do both but what that does also mean is I don't take good care of myself very well I you know there's all these other things that happen as a result. And the thing that was hard during the interview was like, it was a, kind of a little bit of a slap to my own face. Like, Oh, I don't do a good job at balancing everything in my life. I don't do a good job of taking care of myself. And I don't, I don't 
talk about that very often because I try not to think about myself or talk about myself very much. And so saying it out loud was like, oh my gosh, uh, wow, do I need to reassess how I think about things? Right. And what I'm, what I'm prioritizing for me and I, I'm, I'm very, very excited and terrified at the same time. So ran, Ramble Content, for, for listeners, Ramble Content does a lot of our video production. And great guys, uh, Dave Trevino, a uh, friend of mine, and very, very talented organization, will be putting these videos together on our YouTube channel, Discover Marijuana. If you're not subscribed to that channel, you should just go there right now, YouTube, Discover Marijuana, hit subscribe right now, because... In the next few weeks, you're going to see these videos of Blake Smith. Uh, close up, close up look at at Blake, right? Close up look at Tim Pickett too. You get to find out, I guess, what makes me tick. I guess I'm interested to see how they put it together. I think that they'll do a better job. They'll certainly do a better job than you and I would have. And I think what's good about having other people involved is they see what's happening for the industry. They see what's happening for you and I. And they'll, I'll bet they put together something that is, that's true in a way that you and I wouldn't have seen. Oh, I guarantee that. Yeah, that's absolutely. And and you and I, when we sit and talk, we tend to be able to like, we enjoy each other's company and we can talk about anything for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Having somebody else come in and, and view this objectively. I don't know that you and I are always fully objective about no, the way we think about it. Like, certainly not. You know. Having somebody else do that for us, I think, is valuable. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to those. I'll, uh, and I'm looking forward to the new content on season four. Um, frankly, I think there's going to be a lot of, we had a meeting about that today. There's going to be a lot of really amazing content um, coming out. E- and and a redo of some of the stuff that we've already done on that channel. That's just, let's just step it up a notch. We, we know more. Yep. We can do better. So let's do better. Yeah, absolutely. Do better. Just do better. better. Just just do better. (laughs) Work more. What was the one year my motto was uh, go to bed later, wake up earlier, show no mercy. And how's that worked? Uh, It was awesome. This year it is, uh, let's do that again. Oh. Let's do that again. And it it has a thumbs up with it too. Let's do that again. Do it again. Let's do it again. Uh, I, I don't have anything quib or thing that you know saying that's that's awesome like that (laughs) you can use you can use mine let's do that again okay let's do it again hey let's do this again let's do this again blake okay well there you go that's uh okay well that's i guess that's it anything else you want to talk about no you're awesome uh look i uh it's really fun to be in this industry it's really fun to see patients get benefited from this and it's really fun to be able to be part of, of making history in some way, shape, or form. I mean, Utah, cannabis, medicine, treating people, it's wild. Like, this is yeah. all wild. <laughs> it's really wild. Uh, all right, everybody, stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Utah in the Weeds. If you're not subscribed to Utah in the Weeds, please subscribe on any podcast player that you have access to. Uh, this has been uh, a great conversation, Blake, and I look forward to talking to you again. Stay safe out there. You too.